Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Erin Pline and Diana Seacon, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we're still crazy for a good true crime story. Hey, hey. Diana. Hey, Erin. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you? Pretty good. Did you color your hair again? I did. It is so bright and red and pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. I have not colored it since before the internship program, because on the Ooh. first day of the internship program, you said the same thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, there you go. You so, yeah, play. it has been a long time, but I cannot flee the country with the root situation I had going on. Mm, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Gives away mm-hmm. your, your really advanced age. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, I think that our coworkers were a little offended the other day when I was telling everyone how old you were, and there were definitely people sitting there who were older than you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it's not funny that you're old, just that Diana's old. Right. If you listened to our podcast, right. you would know this. <laughs> <laughs> I also legit thought I was older than the coworker who was having a birthday. Apparently not. Nope, definitely I not. I did too, because I thought you were older than like the world, but. Well, yeah, but. So, so do you have anything special to tell me to start off our episode today? I do. I would you like do. to tell you that Crime Crazy is sponsored by Seb Bryce. Thank you. And Courtney Ellis. Thank you. Who we got to see this week. Yes, it was great. It was great. And Dave Hatt. Thank you. Who I also also got to see this week. Yes. (laughs) And guess what I forgot to do? Take a picture of the two of us. Mm. Well, I feel like people are going to think he's imaginary. I'm also not sure we took a picture with Courtney. Also imaginary. (laughs) They are both definitely not imaginary. (laughs) Seb Bryce, though. We don't know about him. I know it's true. Seb, you (laughs) might need to send us a photo or something. Maybe. (laughs) Show sponsors support Crime Crazy through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, A special... God. (laughs) (sighs) Let's try that sentence again. A special shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support Crime Crazy, you know what to do. Go to the internet. Find Patreon. Find us. (laughs) Or buy me a coffee. I really like that one, too. There's just something very, like, happy about it. (laughs) Even if we use it all for donuts? You know, whatever. Coffee, yeah. donuts. Yeah, whatever. Replacing your car and your phone. And <laughs> Everything works now. It's fine. Well, I don't have any review shout outs this week. Uh, but I do want to tell you that you can follow Crime Crazy on all the social media at crimecrazypod.com. You should definitely check out our Instagram where I posted a picture of how I met the host of my second favorite podcast. Yes, you did. And apparently Diana was just like in second heaven and also uh-huh. loving the crime crazy shirt right in the middle of the of the podcast, last podcast the guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, also, I would like to give a special shout out uh, if he's listening to Gabe's dad, Matt, who might become a listener now. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Gabe's dad, Matt. Yeah, I must, I think I said something about a serial killer within about a minute of meeting him, and he still took my child. Um, So thanks. I mean, (laughs) I feel like if you say something about a serial killer, people should take your child. Well, that is an excellent point. (laughs) 
All right. So, Diana, last week you issued a challenge. It did. And I know we don't have much of an update there, but can you issue the challenge again? <laughs> I would like to issue the challenge again. I need to look it up here. So, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I don't even remember anymore. We issued a challenge to get up to a thousand Twitter followers, which we totally did. That's totally last week. <laughs> No, we did Twitter a while ago. This oh, is Twitter. Instagram. Sorry, yeah. I'm not listening. I'm actually looking at all of our cute Instagram pictures. Sorry, continue. We are pretty cute. No. Um, so I want to do the same on Instagram. We have 947 followers. I want to see that up by a thousand. Let's say by the up time school by starts. A thousand? Oh no, up to a thousand. Oh, okay, Don't. that's very different. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> Although up by a thousand would be fucking amazing. You guys get it's on true. it. It's true. It's very easy to follow someone on Instagram. It is. So go ahead, follow us. We're adorable. I'm adorable. I hugged Ben Kissel and Marcus Parks and Henry Zabrowski twice each. There's (laughs) photographic evidence. (laughs) Uh, Probably, but I was very excited to meet them. So great. Yes, so a thousand. And I'm going to say by the time school starts and we're in Minnesota, so that's the day after Labor Day, people. That's right. That's right like two weeks or three weeks it just really depends on when this episode comes out it really does also counting is hard yes (laughs) (laughs) very cool i like all of that um and then i have another question because as sophia told me today i just have so many questions (laughs) i feel very put on the spot now i know did you learn anything this week i did What did you learn? So we talked last week about national parks and people getting killed in national parks. Yes. And I wondered how many people are getting killed in national parks. Oh, my. And it turns out you are far less likely to die in a national park than like in general. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So on average, there are 0.57 deaths per million visitors to national parks annually. In the U.S., the general population has 8,638 deaths per million annually. Okay. The most common cause of death in national parks is drowning, followed by motor vehicle accidents and falling. Ooh, yikes. Yeah. And by contrast, the three leading causes of death in the United States are heart disease, cancer, and unintentional accidents. Okay, which would include those other things, drowning, car accidents. Right. Yeah, yep. okay. Yep. So I wasn't able to find out any information about how many murders there had been in national parks, but I did find that the National Park Service maintains a website of people who have disappeared from national parks. Oh. And these missing persons range from a seven-year-old that went missing in 1969 to a man who went missing last week. Oh, no. And the group includes one unknown victim that was found based on information given by Henry Lee Lucas. And he is presumed to have killed her. Oh, man. Well, he said he killed a lot of people. True. Um, Yeah, we're going to hear about two people today that went missing in a park and have never been found. Mm hmm really depressing did they ask henry lee lucas about them they did not um although when i was reading um there 
there was somebody who called in a tip that it was a serial killer, but the serial killer had been in prison since like the 60s. I forget which serial killer it was. Some name I recognized but didn't know much about. Um, had been On in prison stool? since the 60s. Mm. No, no, not that they, big of a name. They weren't in prison continuously from the 60s. <laughs> Basically, it could not have been this person. No, you did not see them at the park. They right. were not there. Nice try. Definitely has a super good alibi. Right, right. Yeah, prison's a pretty pretty good alibi. Generally. I mean, it's a shitty alibi, but also. Well, right, right. Yeah. Well, so I won't Aaron. worry about being murdered in a national park and yet. You know, I don't really know how many national parks I've been to because I don't do great with nature. I mean... Yeah, that I got nothing. That's what you find in a national park. Right, so limited interest. Yeah, I camped in a, well, okay, camped should be in the quota, in quotation marks. <laughs> uh, Yellowstone. Ooh. Um, but really, I slept in the van because I did not want to be in a tent because I heard stories about scary bison. So. Was the van down by a river? Um. N- no, it was, I don't even know where we were. Honestly, that it was a little, <laughs> like, it was a great trip. I was in high school. It was a little traumatic. By the time we were in a van in Yellowstone, that was the traumatic part. I've blocked most of it. Oh, wow. So. All right. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So it's been a week, but so I'll just sum up what we've talked about so far. Um, where I used to live in Virginia, very near, about 45 minutes away, which I realize for people who live in Minneapolis, that's like 18 light years. <laughs> However, where I used to live, everything was 45 minutes to an hour away. So that was very close. Um, there was this lovely road, the narrowest uh, national park in the country, and it is called Colonial Parkway. And on and around this area, there were a bunch of couples murdered in the 80s, in the late 80s. And it is an unsolved case, and we are breaking it into three parts, and I'm telling you all about it. And last time we talked about the first two sets of victims, and uh, now we're going to move on to victim set number three. I guess right. that, that is my thread that ties these two episodes <laughs> together as I'm still in the same case. Same case. Easy thread. Yeah. Easy thread. All right. So for this episode, we're going to talk about Cassandra Lee Haley and Richard Keith Call. Um, and Keith Call is an interesting character um, and one of my kind of connections to the case because he lived in Gloucester, the town that I used to live in. He was 20 years old at the time. Also, he would be, or I guess is, but he was never alive to meet her, the uncle of one of my youngest sister's good friends, like one of her best friends in high school. Mm -hmm. So it was a family that like we kind of knew and which... I was reading another article today on all of this as I was putting together next week's episode. And um, it was talking about when Bill Thomas, who was the brother of the first victim, Kathy Thomas, went to CrimeCon this year, which mm-hmm. I wish we'd been at CrimeCon for so many reasons, but this is definitely one of them. So they were talking about um, 
how he went there and there were all these podcasters and all of these people who were like true crime fanatics and true crime fans and um, that for them, all of these stories are really entertainment. And I know for us, these stories are generally entertainment. I mean, primarily what we do is produce entertainment mm-hmm. that happens to be slightly comedic tellings of crimes. But for him, and I think for me with this story, these are actual people. They yeah. are real humans that really lived and really had loved ones and really had lives and really went to work and really, you know, got headaches or read a book or, you know, whatever. Like all the things that we just do. Right. Which is is crazy. Right. That's just like I think you have to remove yourself from victims a lot of times and pretend like it's just a story. Yeah. But at the same time, this all was somebody's whole world at some point. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to kind of remember as we go through this. And I don't, you know, I mean, I I think that, and we'll talk about it when we get to like call to action for this episode and next, the biggest part, and like Bill, Bill Thomas had said at the, at CrimeCon, it's fine that it's entertainment for people because that means they're talking about it and they know the story and there's pressure on the media and they want an ending. And if that's what it takes to find the killer, then that's what it takes. And that's great. So. Anyway, there's my little soapbox. So back to this case. That's a very generous viewpoint from him. I agree. I agree. But I think, I mean, it it makes sense. I feel like it's, um, I I feel like it had to have been hard to arrive at that point. Where it's like, it's fine if you tell this as a story for the purpose of entertainment, as long as you tell it. Right. Yeah, I don't know where if I were in his shoes that I could be yeah that gracious I agree well and it it I mean it is certainly gracious and it is certainly like generous it's probably also somewhat desperate right like just anything I'll take anything yeah just yeah. somebody solve this so that I can stop thinking about it all the time yeah I can get that so anyway so Cassandra, who went by Sandy, and Richard Keith Call, who went by Keith, were 18 and 20. They were both Christopher Newport College students. Christopher Newport College is the college that my dad went to. Mm-hmm. I went to Christopher Newport University, which is the same school, but it later <laughs> became Christopher Newport University. And so that is in Newport News. So that's another, like, completely arbitrary connection of mm-hmm. here. <laughs> um, so April 10th, 1988, they had gone out on their first date. Yay. They went to a movie and then they went to a party and their date just, it just wasn't going great. They, oh, no. they didn't really seem to click at all. There was definitely no romantic interest there. Um, according to other people at the party, like they weren't upset about it and they both stayed there for a couple of hours. They just weren't together. Mm-hmm. So Keith, I guess, had recently been through a breakup and one of the articles that I read said that he spent a lot of his night, like, pouring out his heart to a friend. Oh. And Sandy, who wasn't having a ton of fun on her date, according to some people at the party, was hanging out with other guys um, and just kind of talking, having a good time. So I don't think either of them were terribly upset that the date wasn't working out. They ended up leaving together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they just, you know, it just w- wasn't going to be a thing. Sure. So... At, so Cassandra had a 2.30 a.m. curfew, so they left the party at 
Now, where this party was down by the campus, it was only eight miles to Cassandra's house, which would have taken 10 to 15 minutes to get there. So she lived in Grafton. It's like, I don't even know where the line is between those two places. Like you're just on 17, which is like the only road in Gloucester. It's one of (laughs) several roads in that Newport News area. And then um, you just drive. It's 60 miles an hour and then you're there. So there was no way that she should have been late for her 2.30 curfew if they left an hour before she needed to be there. It was a 10 to 15 minute drive if they hit all the red lights, which they weren't going to do at 1.30. Right. And there also was very little chance that they were going to go somewhere and go parking because they didn't really hit it off on the date, right? <laughs> right. Like, why would you go somewhere else on the way home? It was just, just a ride home. Do you guys have deer? Deer? Yes. Okay. Because, of course, as a Midwesterner, my first thought is, they hit a deer. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. No, and that's totally, like, all the time. Everyone hits a deer. And and people die hitting deer all the time, especially oh, yeah. on the parkway. Um, because, you know, it's unlit. It's in the middle of the woods. It's very quiet. It's a low speed limit. Like there are deer walking all throughout there all the time. We would count them on the way home and see like 30. And this was, you know, in the two thousands when there were a ton more cars and a ton more traffic and yeah, easily 30 on the way home, just whole herds of them. Wow. Um, so they never made it home. The other important thing about where they were, because this is the very strange part. So in order to get from where they were at the party to Cassandra's house, they could have taken probably a couple routes. And I don't know exactly where the party was or exactly where she lived to know which one is the best way. Probably they would have come right up Route 17, Mm -hmm. which is like the, the main highway. They could have gotten on Interstate 64 and gone kind of around and then back to 17 there are a couple different ways but regardless of how they were going home if they took all back roads they never would have ended up on the parkway Mm. there's no reason for them to have been there and yet between six and seven the next morning keith's father was driving to work he was taking the parkway and he saw keith's car parked at the york river outlook so one of those little pull-offs that are like little scenic pull-offs it was and he didn't realize this at the time. It wasn't put together until later. But it was about a mile from where Becky Dowski and Kathy Thomas had been found 18 months earlier. Mm. Yeah. So he stopped and he checked out the car, you know, to see if his kid was in there. But everything seemed normal. And this was before the time of cell phones, like his kid was an adult, so he wasn't terribly concerned. He assumed Mm -hmm. that like maybe the car had broken down or run out of gas and Keith and Cassandra had gotten in somebody else's car and and caught a ride home. So he just wasn't, wasn't terribly worried about it. Like it was a little weird, but you know, he's 20 years old. He didn't seem to have a curfew. He could do whatever he wants. Right. However, when a park ranger, okay, so the car was like pulled over at this outlook and it was all locked up and everything so everything seemed fine but when a park ranger came by a little bit later that day it was totally different so keith's red 82 toyota celica had the keys in the ignition and the door was open yeah okay so inside the car he found most of their clothing including shoes and underwear their wallet and purse were still in there 
his, Keith's watch and his glasses were sitting on the dashboard. The keys were in the driver's seat. There were several empty beer cans in the car. So on one side of the back seat, it was all free of trash as if someone had been sitting there. So the theory that they came up with was that Cassandra and Keith left the party about an hour before they needed to. They somehow were driving around, maybe talking. They wound up on the parkway. And because I guess they had been drinking, they decided to go skinny dipping. So they had parked, taken off their clothes, left everything in the car, and then walked down to the river and gotten in the river and then probably drowned. And the police brought in dogs, and the dogs followed the trail, and they seemed to verify that because they kind of led down to the river, right? And then, of course, lost the sign at the water. Mm -hmm. So the assumption was they'd gone skinny dipping and drowned, but their families were like, no, there's no way. A, everyone at the party is like, "Mm, they didn't really hit it off, so there's no reason they wouldn't have come straight home. But even if they got to talking and things changed... That night, the temperature had gotten into the 40s, Ooh. which I realize here is like balmy. But <laughs> that's a big deal in Virginia. Yeah, no, not when you're all wet. That's terrible. Right? <laughs> so they, they never would have, like, that would have been just, you couldn't have enough beer, I don't think, to go get in the water in the 40s. Well, and especially, I mean, up here, there's the Scandinavian influence. and They do like the polar plunge and other crazy shit. But that is definitely not a thing that people got up to in Virginia. Well, I mean, they do the polar plunge actually in the York River in Virginia, like in that same body Mm -hmm. of water. But that's an event and you do it with a ton of people and you're prepared for it. It's not like, well, and they don't have to break a.m. They don't have to break the ice off of it, do they? No, uh, -uh. no, it's just chilly. Yeah, no, it's polar. Yeah, that no, not not quite polar. <laughs> but I mean, still. But even so, it's not. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't come up. No, not at one thirty or two o'clock in the morning on the way home from what is, by all accounts, a disastrous date. Right. Like, yeah. That's just bizarre. So. Not only that, but they shouldn't even have been on the parkway in the first place. Like, it doesn't make sense that their car was there. Um, They would have, you know, gone way out of their way in order to get to where they were going. Which, you know, if it had been a great date, like, maybe. That that used to be a pretty popular place to go parking because there are all these pull-offs. It's not lit. Like, it's pretty easy to go and... Mm -hmm. By the time I was driving, it was like, you know, go parking. Don't go parking there. You'll die. So so the police came and they searched the river with dogs and they did find a body. But it wasn't Keith and it wasn't Cassandra. It was somebody else that was unrelated to any of the cases. And I forget what the actual circumstances are because it wasn't somebody that mattered in this story. But um, I think it was an accident. Like, I think it was it was just unrelated and tragic but had nothing to do with what they were looking for that's like so many emotions right (laughs) yeah all in one sentence um so now both are presumed dead and they haven't ever been found and the theory is that likely the car was staged driven to that spot and staged but that they were probably abducted elsewhere Mm mm-hmm 
there are some places in Yorktown where you can get really, really close to the parkway without being on it and some little back roads. And it's possible they were really near there or even pulled off on some of one of those Mm -hmm. to like if they were being pulled over or something like that. And this is just my theory and me talking. I don't really know where where exactly they were headed. Right. But why would the dad have seen the car looking fine? So and there was like no blood or nothing. Well, and there wasn't ever anyway. Like their their clothing was there and I guess it sounded like the car was kind of a mess. And so my guess is he looked in, he saw a bunch of stuff. He didn't really think anything of it. Well, right. I mean, it's the car of a 20-year-old guy. Right. It was <laughs> yes. Um, but but yeah, I somebody had to have come and done something between that 6 or 7 a.m. time frame that the dad saw it. Right. And when the deputy came upon it, I think it was like around 9. So, I... God, the killer could have still been there. I was going to say he had to, right? Like, why would you drive the car there, park it, lock it, all of that good stuff, leave, and then come back and open it up? Well, and how then how did he, like, leave at all? Right. Right. So, I mean, I think, and we can, we'll talk theories next episode, although they're not quite this specific, mm-hmm. but, like, I can see where a plausible story would be. Somebody pulled them over, held them at gunpoint, got in the back seat, told them to drive, had them park the car, walked them out, like, had them strip, walked them out, killed them mm-hmm. off out of the car somewhere, right? And then came back and just happened to miss the dad and then staged the car to be stolen just like he had the previous car. Right. Which, again, didn't work. Right. Like, it didn't work the first time. I guess he thought maybe it would work the second time. Although, he placed it in a nicer area. So, it seems less likely. But again, I, you know... I I feel like this guy's super, super lucky, but not super, super smart. Well, and... It's not a very traveled area, apparently. If the dad came across it at six or seven and the police officer didn't come across it until nine. Yeah. I mean, I think there could have been plenty of people that have that passed it in the meantime, but it that's just not I mean, people do that. They pull over, they get out, they take pictures, they walk yeah. around, they you know, leave their car there because it broke down or they, whatever. I suppose. It's the days before cell phones, so Right, yeah, you're nobody's not calling. calling. Yeah. 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 So then nothing happened. At this point, there were two crime scenes that, well, there were three crime scenes that were probably staged. Mm-hmm. There were, or that were, I would say, even definitely staged. There were two crime scenes where the car was staged in order to try to get stolen right Right. and in a very similar way all of the belongings are out nothing has been stolen from any of the cars um you know in the first two cases they did find the bodies the first time the body was in the car they tried to destroy the evidence the second body the bodies or the second crime the bodies were uh near the car on the beach um or possibly in the water third set of bodies never found at all like i feel like it shows a pretty clear escalation Mm mm-hmm and at this point, people were definitely thinking serial killer. Right. It wasn't official. Um, and it wasn't something that, like, 
was necessarily being printed in any major papers or anything like that. But it was it was what the investigators were thinking. It was what journalists were thinking. It was what the families were were starting to think. Mm-hmm. And then on September 4th, 1989, the fourth couple was killed. So the fourth couple was Anna Maria Phelps, who was 18, and Daniel Lauer, who was 21. So Anna Maria was dating Daniel's brother, and on September 4th, 1989, they were planning to travel together on a Labor Day weekend trip down to Virginia Beach. So if you're thinking about the coast of Virginia, Newport News is northwest of Virginia Beach, and... um, and so Virginia Beach is down into the east. It's actually on the ocean, so it's mm-hmm. just south of the bay. And so they would have been traveling, just just to make this as clear as possible, <laughs> from west to east. Okay. Um, so they were going to go down. They would meet up with the boyfriend. Um, I think Daniel was taking some belongings down there, or he was going on a vacation, and the girlfriend was going to go see the boyfriend and family. I, they both sort of had different purposes for going that direction but they knew each other so they were going to travel together Mm -hmm. and they never made it so the next morning clint the the boyfriend and the brother called his mom to ask where they were and mom was like no they should have been there by now like and very quickly realized that they were missing and they called the police and how long of a drive is that uh newport news to virginia beach depending on where you're going it's maybe an hour and a half at most, maybe two hours. Okay, so it's not, not very far. It's not very far, no. Um, and I don't, you know, different time and different routes and whatever else, but it's, right. not, it's not six hours. Or So sometime later, they found, the police found Daniel's gold 1972 Chevy Nova abandoned at a rest stop. And this rest stop had a reputation as a really shady place where people would do drug deals and they would hook up in the parking lot and like just all kinds of relatively low level criminal activity took place. Not in a Nova. I know. (laughs) But (laughs) what was really, really strange about finding the car in this place, aside from the fact that um, Daniel and Anna Maria didn't really have a reputation for this kind of behavior Mm -hmm. was that the rest stop was on the westbound side of the interstate. And so in order to get to it, you would have to be traveling west. And we know they were traveling east. Mm. So just like the previous two cases, everything was in the car. The key was in the ignition. The gas tank was mostly full. The car was in complete working condition. So there's no chance that they like turned around because they were having car trouble and then pulled over because it broke down. Like everything Mm -hmm. was fine. But it was completely abandoned. And the only thing that they could tell that was missing from the car, other than the people who were supposed to be in the car, Mm -hmm. was an electric blanket that Daniel had had with him. Yeah. Okay. What a weird thing to take. Yeah. Yeah. It was the only, only thing. So several people reported that they saw the couple after this time, but they couldn't verify any of these sightings. And they think they were all probably false or had like times mixed up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Witnesses are terrible, right? They yeah. get things wrong all the time. Um, and so they brought in dogs and they couldn't find any scent at all around the car, which could potentially tell police that the couple was never there when the car was there. 
that it was, again, driven mm-hmm. there and staged. Do you suppose somebody saw that it was staged to steal and thought, I don't really need a 1972 Nova, but I could use an electric blanket. Um, <laughs> so they might have thought that at the time, but the blanket will come back into play here shortly. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it makes total sense. The car was staged to steal. Like, you could almost think, well, maybe somebody did drive it a little way. Like, grabbed mm-hmm. it, drove it, freaked out, left it. But again, it was staged exactly like the other cars. Right. So, the chances of anybody being in before, like, the deputies other than the killer, probably not. Yeah. So, Anna's family, I mean, both, all of the families, of course, were distraught. But hers especially, they just lived by the phone for weeks. Uh. They called a psychic. The psychic couldn't even come up with anything. Um, They really held on to this hope that Anna Maria was this very, very strong girl. She was a fighter. And so surely she would be okay. But as time went on and on and on, that seemed less likely. Mm -hmm. So on October 19th, 1989, there were some hunters in the woods about 30 miles west of the parkway in New Kent County, which was really near where the car had been found. So we're not exactly close to that area any longer like the similarities tying these cases together at this point are a couple who was traveling at night goes missing the car was staged to be stolen right um and all of the belongings are left totally untouched so but they're not in that same like this is now colonial parkway i mean i guess it was with the ragged island case as well but it's totally a misnomer um so these hunters were in the woods about 30 miles west of the parkway They were really near that rest stop and they were going down. There was this like logging road in the woods and just off the logging road, they were hunting and they came across a couple of bodies. They had been exposed to the elements. They were almost completely decomposed, like basically just skeleton. Mm -hmm. Anna Maria was covered from the waist up by the electric blanket. Uh. Both of the skeletons had been disturbed by animals. They said um, that their skulls were detached. Like it was just horrific. And of course their families were absolutely crushed. The Lowers, Daniel's family, had extensively searched these exact woods. And in one of the articles, I think it's the dad, was quoted as saying that, you know, they, they couldn't believe that's where they were because he knew that logging road. They had walked by it and walked by it and walked by it and they just had never gone down it. Ugh. Like it was just a little further out than they thought they needed to search. So since the bodies were mostly decomposed, there wasn't a ton that investigators could find out about the cause of death. And so they sent the bodies after doing whatever autopsies they could to the Smithsonian, the Natural History Museum in D.C. Mm -hmm. And the anthropologists there tried to determine the cause of death based on the bones. But the best that they could do was to say that at least one of the bodies showed defensive knife wounds, which is super impressive. Um, But the entire basis for this is on Anna Maria's finger on one of the bones, there was a little nick and they thought maybe that was a defensive wound fending off a knife attack. Or it could have been a critter. It could have been a critter. And I don't know if it was like, 
I don't know. I feel like you could maybe tell the difference between like teeth marks and a knife, but you don't know when that happened. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you can watch like bones and then um, <laughs> believe that you can tell everything about everybody from, but in reality, like that was, that was it for evidence. Like the electric blanket is there. Doesn't appear that they walked from the car. That's it. So those are the third and fourth sets of victims. And at this point, all of the crimes were tied together. The investigators were getting tons of tips in. Um, Things had just been terribly, terribly mishandled, sort of like we talked about last time and we'll talk about next week, too. Um, That between park rangers and local police and state police and FBI and then this random deputy that we'll talk about that came from Gloucester County and had no fucking business there at all. Um, it just was a mess. Would there you like was to lack- share your real opinion on that one? I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I was researching him some more today and like his mugshot came up because he, I mean, we'll talk about it, but he was arrested for another crime. Um, and it was just like, oh God, I just wish I could punch him in the face like just (laughs) he makes me mad and I think it's because he's the only one in the case that you can like identify as I don't know if he did it or not but this guy was a bad guy yeah and so he's the only one that gets any any anger plus he looks like an idiot um (laughs) and he was a bad guy so anyway between all of those people and all of those groups there just was this terrible lack of communication like things were mishandled things were lost um crime scenes were tampered with Uh, apparently park rangers really really bad at investigating serial killer like crime scenes and all that stuff they just which is fair also like maybe if you don't know what you're doing back up off that area and don't touch anything but right let somebody else handle it Mm -hmm. right so um cases are connected everything is unsolved and then time goes by um and by time goes by i mean that when we start next week's episode we are going to skip all the way to 1990 which is just one year but then from 1990 we are going to skip into the 2000s which was the next time that anything happened good grief yes so i have a call to action do tell And this one is a little bit different, and this is not one from Bill, but it is one that I think is really important. And even if it's only sort of tied to this case, I think it it counts. So as far as the evidence shows, there was no sexual assault in any of these cases. Although the statistics of serial killers and either sexual assault or some sort of like sexual component to the crime, Mm -hmm. there's a pretty strong correlation. Mm -hmm. And just because we don't have evidence doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen. We are pretty sure that Kathy and Rebecca were not sexually assaulted because their bodies were found, pardon me, right away intact in the car, um, dressed, you know. The others... There were problems with all their bodies. They'd been exposed to the elements. They'd been thrown in the river. They never were found. So Mm -hmm. there's not really a good way to tell. But the answer of who is the serial killer will likely be one that is only answered when DNA from all of those crime scenes is finally tested. Spoiler alert, there's DNA. And it hasn't been tested. (sighs) DNA 
And DNA tests have a really big problem right now, which is that you have to test it and it's not happening fast enough. Across the country, there are over, like well over 100,000 untested rape kits. In Minnesota, there are over 3,000 untested rape kits. Oh my just God. hanging out in evidence boxes, waiting for somebody to have the time and the resources to test it so they can put people away. <sighs> and so even though rape kits don't directly relate to this case, it's still the same sort of issue of we have DNA. It's going to give us the answers, or at least it's going to lead us in the direction where we can find some answers, and yet it's just sitting there untested. So my call to action for this week is to check out and get involved at endthebacklog.org. Yes. And so you can go on, you can read, you can click on your state to see a couple of things, like how many um, untested rape kits there are. You can see if there has been any sort of reform or any laws passed to address the issue of all of the untested rape kits. The state that had the most when I was just quickly clicking through was, it was either North or South Carolina. I think it was North Carolina. 15,000 untested rape kits. California is way up there over 10,000 too. What the fuck, North Carolina? Right? Like California, there are a lot of people there. Like proportionally... You know, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know what North Carolina's issue is. I would say that it is definitely, especially along the coast, like very much a beach party area. So maybe it has an abnormally high rate of rape. Yeah, um, could be. And it's also in the south. So we can make all sorts of assumptions about the value of women and victims there. But we probably mm -hmm. should just keep on moving. Um, but anyway, you can look at all of that. You can see where the laws stand. You can tweet things out and sort of share that message. You can sign petitions. You can contact uh, lawmakers. You can donate to the cause. There are all different kinds of ways to get involved. Excellent. And what's that, that website my again? Call, my call to action is endthebacklog.org. Thank you. Yes. Definitely check that out. We've talked about it before. Um, it's definitely... A cause that a lot of the female true cast, let's try it again, true, cast. true crime podcast community is involved in. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Um, I mean, it's, yeah. The founder or one of the founders of that site too, just sort of random fun fact. Have you ever watched Law and Order SVU? No. So Olivia Benson, who is Mariska some thing something i know everybody's like fake name um mariska haggerty yeah 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 is one <laughs> of the uh um the founders of of that which i think oh. is it's like really great like it, she plays this super passionate character who's involved in sex crimes or like involved in solving sex crimes mm -hmm. and then in real life she was like well fuck this is an actual issue let me do something so oh that's awesome i don't know if she says fuck but yeah we can we can believe whatever we want. Right. I think if we were having drinks together, she would say fuck. <laughs> I would like to believe that's true. <laughs> right. So, Diana, did you learn anything? Or, nope. 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 <laughs> Not what I want to ask. So, I did Diana, learn many things. Yes. Do you have any advice for us this week? I do. Just stay out of the woods. 
<laughs> avoid nature at all costs. You just like you don't know what you're gonna find there. Yeah. It might be bodies. Just Maybe ticks. Oh, oh no, snakes. Have you heard of snakes? I kind of like snakes, but definitely oh. spider webs. Oh. Oh my god! And if you, if you, oh, the thorns and the little sticky like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are terrible. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna stay here on my couch in suburban St. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> my spiritual home that's right right call your people call your people we do have cell phones now your car breaks down you're gonna get a ride with someone else call your people well if you're somewhere with fucking reception it is true there's still no reception on the parkway but you will get to somewhere with reception or, your people. or in rural wisconsin where my car broke down that's true middle of nowhere wisconsin <laughs> yeah Thanks and shout out to all the people in that town that helped us. Absolutely. In Casanovia. Hey there. Mm. And don't end up on next week's episode. <laughs>